I'm Kier. I'm Haley. And I'm Jay from Gallifrey Public Radio. A podcast member of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the one you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. And get ready, because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Virginia Woolf, you know who that is? She's a Pulitzer. She's a famous... That's what I was going to say. She's a famous Pulitzer. You were going to say that. that. Yeah. I was going to say she was a a famous animated wolf. She was indeed that thing that you said on this episode. Do we know what we're talking about? No. No, not even um, a little. So, uh, yeah, we probably should start addressing the listener at some point in this rambling diatribe that seems to be the beginning of this episode of Unqualified Gamers. I mean, that's a like podcast about video games. Intro of the show. So that's fine. Hosted by it. Jonathan Martin and Cody Goff. As many times as you brought want. to you by our sponsors. We don't have any sponsors. We've we never should. Had sponsors have sponsors we've always wanted a sponsor uh have we always wanted a sponsor i don't know if we've always wanted a sponsor but i do know that i, I would like to have one but that's neither here nor there we are here to talk about uh, well i'm I here in order to participate in like alcoholics anonymous you you have to have a sponsor is that uh well okay so this is a little different than alcoholics anonymous yeah you're probably right yeah right so uh listener i got a new microphone so my very high quality recordings that I had before are going to be even higher quality now. Yeah, you didn't need to announce that. Literally everyone knew that you got a new microphone because you don't sound like garbage. Even higher quality than before. You don't sound like hot garbage. And that's what I was saying is I like I put down some bank uh, for this particular microphone. It was it was thirty nine dollars. Yep. Um, but it was marked down from 699. I don't know how that happens. Is that what it was marked down from? Yeah, I don't know how that happens. It was basically like 94% off. I don't know. Amazon does those crazy lightning sales. I think it was for three minutes only. Wow. And I, I got it in that window. A three minute sale. Well, they only have one. What? I mean, that's, that's why they can mark it down so much. And like, I got that one. They it's basically have... like Black Friday, only like a thousand times better. You could actually call... You could actually call it uh, Amazon's um, Black Monday. Could you call it that? Friday, Monday. Black Black Friday, Monday. On what day of the week did you get it? I'm, well, I mean, I have Amazon Prime shipping, so it was a two-day shipping thing. So I think I received it. And I remember receiving it on like a Thursday. Because, see, I got a pop filter too, but the, the, the microphone actually wasn't eligible for Prime shipping, but the pop filter was. So I got the pop filter, and then I didn't get the microphone until like, Three days later. I am fascinated by your story about having equipment shipped to you. This is why the listener tunes into this podcast. It's for stories like that. I'm inspired, quite it, I mean, it came to my door. For the UPS man brought it to my door. It was, I mean, it was actually, it was very conven- It's very convenient when you order something and it actually comes straight to your door. I actually, I find a lot of value in Amazon for offering that service. Yeah, you know, if you did that in Chicago, a robot helicopter would bring it to you within an hour and it would be packaged with a gun. So I'm not sure what parts of those were actually lies. The world may never know. 
Yeah. But listener did not... <laughs> listener. <laughs> We're not using definite or indefinite articles anymore. What is the word the? What kind of an article is that? A past participle. Right. Oh. Okay. So we're not using participles anymore. But but listener came to listen to me talk mostly about Metal Gear Solid Five. Obviously, not yeah. your microphone. Yeah. You're you know you're probably right because actually I kind of want to hear about that game too f- for a change. Yeah. Yeah. You do. And then uh, and then after we talk about it, we can we can we can banter a bit about what we've been up to lately in our lives and our livelihoods. And that sounds fine. That sounds good. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Five came out last Tuesday. No, it came out uh, Friday, September first. I went through like all of the days. So that was like two over two weeks ago. So but yes, it came out. It came out September first, twenty fifteen. Has it really been out for two weeks already? The year Jeez. of our Lord, twenty fifteen. I know, and I've only played thirty hours of it, and I'm not happy about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, from what I understand, most people have put in like at least eighty by now. So you're, I mean, you're kind of dragging ass. Yeah, you know what my completion is. You know what percent complete I am with the game after thirty hours. Let's see, after 30, um, 40%. Nope. You got um, one more guess. Uh, 35%. Nope. So I actually don't remember the number exactly, but it is wow, less. this is a really good story then. Thank you. Well, it's less than 20%. Less than 20? Yes. That seems like a, a very low number of percents. Have you actually been playing the game when you have the game on? Yes, yes. There are a lot of percents in this game. Okay. So there's a lot of content. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about it. What is a Metal Gear? <laughs> Metal Gear is a bipedal machine, clearly a bipedal tank, if you will, that can fire nuclear missiles. It's it's, it's obvious to everyone. Could you give the listener a brief primer on Metal Gear, on just the Metal Gear series storyline? No. So we could like all have a baseline so that we can talk about this game? No, because there's no such thing as a brief primer to Metal Gear. That is an oxymoron. You know, our friend Will... Wants to buy Metal Gear Solid Five, and in preparation of getting it, he is watching a YouTube video series that explains the storyline. Do you know how long it is? Is this another guessing game? Okay, it's six hours long. <laughs> it's a summary. wait. Is that not as long as as most of the games? I think one of the game. I think you can you can probably beat any of them, and uh, you can beat the first one in six hours. I'm not sure about the second. The third probably maybe ten hours. But yeah, no, it's, I mean, 4 took probably like 10 or 20 hours. It was a little longer, I think. That's legitimately kind of awesome, a six-hour story series. That's pretty good. It is, but here's the thing. Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain takes place chronologically. The only game that precedes it is Metal Gear Solid Three. So there's only one game. Well, okay, that's not strictly true. Why? See, it's so complicated, I forget. Let me I just... don't really think... That whatever you're about to tell me about the Metal Gear Solid story is going to be very important. So why don't we just move on to the actual game itself? Well, I'm gonna. Well, I think it's important to address the the the, the fact that the storyline. Basically, what I want to communicate at this juncture, by means of words and speaking, is that you don't need to have played another Metal Gear Solid game to enjoy this game. Cool. That is an important point. That is an important point. In fact, fun fact, in addition to the five main Metal Gear Solid games and the original Metal Gear 1 and 2 for the MSX computer system or whatever it was, there are two PlayStation Portable games, Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops and Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. I have played Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops. 
I have not played Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. And Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, the only game in the series that I have not played, is the game that immediately precedes Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. So I actually am coming into this game as someone who does not have the setup game in mind. So I haven't played the game before this. And it's still awesome, and I still love everything about it. I mean, I know the character, the main character, and a couple of the supporting characters a bit, but but I'm by no means familiar with many of the main story beats of Metal Gear Solid Five Peace or Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Okay, so I've got a question. Yes, have all of the Metal Gear games up to this point basically like controlled the same? Have they all kind of had the same structure in terms of like how Snake sneaks around and and and? does his espionage stuff yes. only just you know gradually getting better because the systems have gotten better yeah that's correct okay and like like this one is actually an open world game is that right that is correct so it's like so you being like a veteran metal gear fan uh does it feel like totally different to you it, this is easy. again i don't know i've never played a metal gear game i know nothing about them i'm just asking as a naive person i mean it it'd be like so if for for me like the, I liken it to a very traditional series that like I like playing is Dragon Quest. Um and basically and it's it is rooted in tradition it is steeped in tradition. Um in fact 1 through 8 have always been turn-based and when 9 was announced they announced that 9's battle system was going to be an a, an an action game battle system and there was so much backlash among Japanese people because they were so into the tradition of Dragon Quest being a, a turn-based role-playing game, that they changed it. They redid the game completely to make it turn-based. So, like, Dragon Quest is steeped in tradition, and they've they've altered a couple of things that have really shaken up the way that that, that, that works, and the games feel totally different to me in those circumstances. Like, they, the first time they introduced having, like, multiple parties or members that you could swap in and out. Like, that was a huge deal for me when I was playing that series. And it made a giant difference in gameplay. That's the only thing I can liken this to, because you're basically telling me that there was gameplay that has been around for what? Metal Gear Solid was out in 94? Mid-9, around the time... 90, maybe 96, the, actually? The demo the demo was on... There was a demo disc of, of PlayStation games that I got with Final Fantasy VII that included a demo for Metal Gear Solid. It was, I think that was 96. So we're talking like almost 20 years of gameplay that has been relatively the same, just kind of being upgraded. And now you're completely switching that up, right? To a degree, I, I suppose. I, I would liken it more to something like Batman Arkham Asylum followed by Batman Arkham City. Does that make sense? It's the same gameplay, the same sneaking mechanics, the same engagement mechanics, but you're going from traversing a closed environment that's more internal to a larger, more open environment that's external. So you like go to a place, you do a quest or a mission or whatever, and then there's stuff to do on the way to going to that place. Yeah, effectively, effectively. Okay, and cool. that's and that didn't seem like that dramatic of a change from from the Batman series from Arkham Arkham Asylum to Arkham City, did it? Would you say? Um I mean, you you liked Arkham Asylum better, and I understand that from a story perspective and from certain perspectives. But in terms of kind of the feel of the game, and once you no, get they it, felt they. I mean, they felt pretty similar. Like yeah. Arkham City felt like a logical kind of evolution for 
for Arkham Asylum. Yeah, and that's exactly how this is. So this game actually takes the pacing of... It, it modernizes Metal Gear Solid. So, listener, if you've not heard this podcast before, John and I have very busy lives. We're adults. We have jobs. We don't have time, even if we want to, to sit down in front of a game and play it for four or six hours a day. And a lot of the longer, more involved kind of blockbuster games are less accessible to us because we don't have that ability to, you know, we like games that you can kind of jump in and out of. I love The Legend of Zelda as much as the next person, but structurally, it's less conducive, my lifestyle is less conducive to playing The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword than it is to, to playing, say, Hearthstone or Rogue Legacy or FTL or Binding of Isaac or something along those lines that's a little more, um, you can kind of play in little chunks, right? So Metal Gear Solid Five has done th the best job. Uh, first of all, let me say, this is by far, in my mind, so far, 30 hours in, the best Metal Gear Solid game I've ever played. And it might be one of the best action games I've ever played. It may be the best action game I've ever played. It's it's perfect. It's just like, so far, it's just utterly perfect. The graphics are phenomenal, and everything is so smooth and streamlined. The way they break it up, John, structurally is really interesting. So they send you on your, your first mission. You've got your objective. You're on this giant map. You have a field. Uh, they kind of restrict you to... So you start out Afghanistan as the first major location where you are. You're somewhere in Afghanistan. There's a very large map, like a small city, basically. But a lot of it's just rocks and roads, right? With outposts in between. So you've got this this rather large area. But then when, when you start the first mission, it puts you in kind of... It gives you some boundaries, so you can't exit these boundaries. You can't go explore like the entire map during this mission. You're kind of restricted to a smaller area. And... You enter the mission and it shows the opening credits where it shows it shows the characters' names who are starring in this chapter. So it'll say like starring Solid Snake and Revolver Ocelot and Kaz Harat and like Those like, are real names. Yeah, of course. But they wait, they are? No, those are those aren't real names. Nobody's well, named Revolver. Those are totally real names. Absolutely real. For the characters. I know, I, I know not a single I know. I know somebody named every name that probably has ever been invented, and I don't know anybody named Revolver. Are you sure about that? What Which if I, part? What if I told you my name, my birth name is Revolver? Is your middle name Cody? Are you Revolver Cody Golf? I Golf. am Golf. I'm Revolver Cody Golf. I just it's thought, a hard it's a hard thing to say when you say Revolver first. Yeah, it makes you want to say Golf. It, is, it throws in the L's. Revolver Cody Golf. Yeah, it's. Kind of sounds like that. So no, there's nobody named Revolver. Yeah, well, that you know of. And nobody's named Ocelot. Maybe you should make more friends. That's an animal. Maybe you should make more friends. Isn't Ocelot an animal? Anyway, continue. So, uh, so you're restricted to this area. Chose the opening credits. You do the mission, which is very fun. It takes between 20 minutes and maybe an hour, if it's a longer one, or if you do all the side objectives, or you're bad at the game and you die a lot and things like that. So it takes me an hour a lot of times. But it doesn't. It really doesn't. But you spend 20 minutes to an hour or so, and then it says episode concluded. It kind of fades to black, and then it shows you like an end credit sequence, like it's the episode of a TV show. And that is awesome. 
So I can jump in the game. Let's say I want to continue progressing in the story. Let's say, and, and there are specific, there are story missions. They are basically called missions. I think they're called story missions. It doesn't matter. There's the main missions that you can do, and then there are side missions you can take on. And the side missions, of course, get you extra equipment and, and extra different things like money and experience. Th not experience, but money and, and items, resources you can spend on upgrades and things like that. And you can take those on as well. That doesn't restrict you. I can take on three different side missions and just run around this gigantic Afghanistan map as long as I want doing side missions. And then once I enter an episode, once I reach the area where that episode takes place, then it starts the episode. And they call them episodes. They actually, I'm on episode 13 or 14, and I've skipped two. I skipped episodes 11 and one other one. Um, so... Of the main story of the missions? main story missions. Now that I may, I believe weird. I have to go back to play them, um, but I don't believe they're optional. But I was able to progress to the next area. My, I am now in the second area, which minor spoiler. I guess it's a. We'll just say it's a forested area, so it's a different terrain than the desert that you start in, and it's on a different continent. So I have now unlocked like a second giant area where I can participate in missions and side missions and things like that. But, John, it plays like a TV show. It plays like I want to sit down for a half hour to an hour and play an episode of this show. I'm going to sit down, boot it up, do that, land my helicopter in the LZ, go into the area, play it out, see an end credit sequence, which they like fast forward. It's literally like 10 seconds long. It's really short. And then I can turn off the game. And that's it. It is, it is the perfect structure for our lifestyle. Uh, they have taken the Metal Gear series and its intense, complicated storylines and cutscenes and everything like that, and they have condensed them into episodes. And even the cutscenes, even the, the cinematics within those episodes, which look gorgeous, by the way, even those are shorter. There, is, there, is no, there are no moments where you're spending... I have not experienced any moments where you're spending 20 to 40 minutes watching a cutscene like you legitimately do in other Metal Gear games. So, so, so there are 20 to 40 minute cutscenes, like just straight up story exposition? In other games, not in this one. They've condensed it. So when you get to a cinematic, I, the longest I've seen is maybe five or like, I, I think there were a couple major ones that might have been up to 10 minutes but but there are few and far between. And I'll do like four or five episodes that don't even have any cinematics, really, or very brief. So it, it's not heavy on the not playing the game, <laughs> which has been a criticism of the Metal Gear Solid. I mean, it sounds like a stupid thing to say, but that has been a criticism of the Metal Gear Solid games in the past. The ending sequence of Metal Gear Solid 3 or 4 is literally two or three hours long. Like, from the time you fight the first form of the final boss to the end of the game, between all the cinematics you watch and the, like, last, the final chase scene and the final fight scene, like, it literally takes three hours. It's, like, outrageous at the end. It seems like a long time. It is a very long time. So, yeah, so you should get this game, and you should get it on PC. I got it on PC, and it looks freaking beautiful it is the best looking game i have ever played straight up bar none zero competition it is the most beautiful game i have ever played okay so we haven't talked at all about the actual game so like what do you do i because i've never played a metal gear game like i'm the perfect i'm the i'm like the perfect audience for you right now to talk to, to talk about this game because i don't even know how these games play like i don't sure. even know what what you're doing in these games sure okay cool and i i wanted to kind of start with 
the biggest changes and things that apply to everyone, including people who have played the games before? Sure. Because that's new information to them. Now we'll get into this stuff. If you're not as familiar with the series, it is a stealth game. You, The idea is to sneak around and complete objectives stealthily without being seen by enemies. And you are, in fact, penalized in terms of your points and your score at the end of each mission if you kill anyone. So... Let, so I'll give you a scenario. Uh, the, the helicopter drops me into a zone and there's an enemy outpost right in front of me. This means there's a guard tower and a little tent and there are, let's say, four guards patrolling. The first thing I have to do is I have to find a nearby ridge and imagine this kind of on the roadside, like a dirt road of a mountainous desert kind of region in Afghanistan with lots of rocky terrain and, and just beautiful rocky hills around. I go climb one of those, find a ridge, uh, stealthily, of course. I'm not just running around. I'm crouched or I'm cr even army crawling around. I find a ridge. I go lay down on it, and then I grab my binoculars, and I scope out the scene. So I take my binoculars, uh, and you just hit R1 to switch to binoculars. And I'm looking around, and you can zoom in. And if I spot an enemy, then I kind of scan that enemy, quote-unquote, and then they appear on my radar. So the only way to get an enemy to appear on my radar is to scout it first. Sure, you mark them. Yeah, you mark them, right? So, but you have to mark them. And if you don't, you're really screwed. So then let's say I, I mark all four and I'm, I'm reasonably sure that they're all there. Cool. I then have to find a way in there. So I got an army crawl. It'll show you the distance you are away from each of these guys. So maybe I'm 30 meters, 70 meters, 100 meters. I don't know why they use the metric system. Who knows? But they do. So I crawl or crouch or whatever and try to come up behind one of them so that I'm not in someone's line of sight. I don't want the guard in the guard tower to be facing my direction. I want the guard in the guard tower to be facing away from me. So when I sneak up to the guy next to the guard tower and I choke him out next to him, he doesn't hear it and he doesn't see me. And do they give you vision cones? What's a, uh, what, uh, no, they don't. Okay. They actually, in fact, here's an interesting thing. There is no mini map. In, huh. in this game, there is no mini-map. And I maybe there's one you can toggle that I haven't, but uh, there is no mini-map. If you hit start, you open up your iDroid, which is a very advanced, which I, first of all I think is some kind of funny commentary to call it an iDroid, which is a juxtaposition of iPhone and Android. Sure. I mean, I, I don't... It's hilarious. I don't think it's a commentary. It's hilarious. I think, probably, I think he probably just thought it was funny, and it, it's kind of clever. It's it is cute. incredibly... It is literally the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. You need to get out more. Probably. Well, I've been playing 30 hours of Metal Gear Solid. So you can hit start to really quickly glance at your iDroid, which does show a mini-map, but that doesn't pause the game. It just pulls up your iDroid. So, sure, it's, it's, it's like a dark... That's like a Dark Souls thing. Oh, is it? Yeah, you can't pause the game. Okay, right. Exactly. And you can pause this game by hitting select. I'm talking Xbox 360 controller terms. So, uh, yeah, uh, but you can pause the game if you want to, but it just freezes everything. But, um, but yeah, so you can't really well glance at your radar all the time because you might get spotted. So I army crawl up. The main thing that you do to incapacitate somebody is to choke them out. So if you can get within two or three meters of someone by, by, slowly walking towards them because if you walk full speed that's not any good uh, what's cool about this series is that they especially this game is they use sight sound 
I don't think smell, but who knows? But they use like sight and sound and other senses to detect when you're nearby. And um, so you sneak up behind them. You usually hit R1 to or the right trigger to uh, choke them out. Basically, you kind of grab them. You can interrogate them while you're choking them out, and then you choke them out. And then uh, you find the next guy and choke him out before he catches the fact that there is a incapacitated fellow guard nearby. Because if you didn't incapacitate somebody and then walk away, and then a guard walks over to him, he'll be like, huh? Oh, and then he sounds an alarm, and then more guards come. They become more alert, so that limits your field of stealth. And that's essentially what you have to do. And like the goal for this outpost, for me, would be to choke out all four of them, and then I've captured the outpost, and then I can do whatever I want. Once you choke somebody out or use my tranquilizer gun, I also have a tranquilizer pistol with a silencer on it. And that's basically your long-range way of knocking somebody out. However, there is a um, there's a delay to them being tranquilized unless you get a headshot. So if I hit somebody in the face, they're immediately passed out. If I hit somebody in the arm, well, then they look around and they're a little bit alarmed and they might tell one of their other guards they're under attack, but then they'll pass out after a few moments. But pretty much you have to hit headshots and there's no scope, so you've got to get really close to do that. So there's a lot of real-time strategic thinking that goes on and you have to be very very tactical and that makes this game awesome so i'm not not gonna lie you you kind of described like every other stealth game that i've ever played um so uh, you like like you my problem with stealth games i'm not great at them i don't love them and one of my big problems with stealth games is that generally when you are spotted uh everything goes to hell and you end up having to kill everybody and oftentimes they make that relatively easy to do and then you get left with the the thought like why did i stealth in the first why did i have to do stealth in the first place so does that ever happen like does stuff just go to heck and then you just end up killing everything and blowing everything up oh like with deus ex yeah, Deus Ex is a perfect example. That's actually the game I was thinking of. But there are plenty of stealth games. Um, uh, the other one that comes to mind um, is uh, the name literally just flew out of my head. Literally? Did you see which direction it went? Better go I've catch no, it. I have no idea. I have no idea what I was going to say. Anyway, Deus Ex is a great example. Where like you can sneak around and it's like super fun to do that. But then as soon as you're seen the entire mission is blown and you just have to, you have to kill everybody or restart the mission. That's it. There, first of all, there's not that problem. It's not easy to kill everybody. So a lot of it depends on, on how tactical you've been before this. For example, a lot of outposts have two or three satellite dishes that will allow the enemies to call for backup from another base and more guards will come. If you've taken those out with C4 or grenades or what have you, which temporarily alerts the enemy, but, I mean, they don't know where you are, so they usually call off a search after a couple minutes. Um, If you've taken those out, for example, and then you take out half the guards and there's like three left, then maybe you can kind of fight your way out. Um, It's not easy. And especially in there, man, there was a, it was mission seven or eight or something, and you had to... I had to infiltrate like a a base that was outside of a cave, and then I had to get into the cave to pick up a a classified weapon developed by the U.S. government, and then I had to escape. And this was crawling. There were so many guards. 
it was it was ridiculous. And it was surrounded by mountains. So there was really only one access point to get in. So I basically just had to sneak by the first couple of guys and just get in the middle of the base. And then suddenly I'm there and I know where some of the guards are, but not all of them. And like, if, if you got seen, yeah, I would have to restart immediately because there was just no way to get out. That adds, to me, that adds... Your actions matter in this game. You can't just charge in and you can't be thoughtless. Like, again, you have to always be thinking tactically. And there are instances where, I guess to more directly answer your question, there are instances where a guard has seen me and started firing at me and I've run away and hid long enough for them to kind of call off the search. There's times when they found me and I've tried to run away and they've shot me to death. There's times they found me and I've pulled out a couple weapons, shot a few guys, and I've been good to go. That's the minority of the time. But it's not easy once they've spotted you. And I think that this game does a really good job of rewarding you quite handsomely for being very good at sneaking. And it does a pretty good job of punishing you uh, when you're when you're caught. So, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess just in general, stealth games are, are probably really hard to to strike a good balance because on one hand, you're you're either going to have the player be seen and then just have them immediately die, and that's not very fun, or have them be seen, re stealth maybe too easily, and then it it kind of is is as a dissidence right in that mm. player's mind like it doesn't make a lot of sense that the guards give up that fast or something like that sure so i think stealth games just in general are are, are hard but you also said that this was a good action game like are there like big bombastic giant moments oh yeah are- oh yeah there was a mission where i had to take out as many enemy vehicles as possible which i can only do with basically c4 or some kind of rocket launcher and that was, it was a 15-minute time limit. So I could see on my iDroid the routes of these tanks going by the road. But I'm also starting pretty much right next to a giant base. So there's also a bunch of guards that, like, the second I fire off a rocket launcher, they can see where I shot it from, and suddenly I've got guards swarming me. So it was really intense, and I had to run around a lot, and I was bleeding. My character was shot many, many times, and I thought I was going to die a few times but somehow made it out of the end of the mission. I accidentally killed one prisoner that it was optional to save, but, you know, you can't make an omelet without cracking a couple eggs, am I right? I don't. I never understood that expression because there's, you're not cooking, especially in the, you're not cooking in the middle of, of fighting. There's, you could be. You're not making an omelet. Well, I guess in this game you might. Kirby does that with his final smash. So I know I know just a couple a couple of things about this game from other podcasts that I've listened to. Um, and I do have a question. What is Fultonine? Okay, so all right, because this is this has come up in like multiple podcasts, and they just assume that the listener in in all of the cases, the listener just is assumedly knows what this word means. All right, this is brand new to the series, and this is where it adds another layer, John, that I think you'll find really interesting, and that gives it an entire second dimension to all of the gameplay and everything you're doing. Is it like a physical move? Like yeah, a Fulton. Yes, like I'm going to put you in a Fulton Nelson. So no, but. No, uh, no, not at all. So, so in this game, one of the su- the subplot, I guess, and an undercurrent is that you're building an army. In Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, you had developed this large independent army, and it got really big. And then some things went wrong that I 
that are very complicated that I won't get into. But basically, the world found out you had nuclear weapons. I mean, things are going to go wrong when you have nuclear weapons and you're building your own independent army. I don't care who you are. You can be the good guys. You probably shouldn't be doing that. Right. So that didn't go over super well. So um, so now this is this actually this game takes place actually uh, many years after Peace Walker. And uh, the idea is you're going to rebuild this army. You're going to build this new army called Diamond Dogs. But wait, it didn't work out at all the first time you did it. Why would you do it again? I don't think that we're trying to proliferate nuclear weapons at this in this one. But I'm not I mean, I'll have to get back to you on that. Okay. There's a lots of I mean this the story is quite complicated. There's there's there are several Moby Dick references at the beginning of the game because a lot of this game is actually and uh some of it is kind of a an homage. I don't want to say it's not an homage, that's not the word, but it it definitely some of the like not lessons but like some of the the plot undercurrents somewhat parallel Moby Dick. It's a it's a bit of a metaphor for some of that. Have you read Moby Dick? No. Well, it's not that long. It's not like no. War and Peace. But it Yeah, no. I I have I haven't read it. I again, like back at a period of time in my life, I talked about this like two podcasts ago. At the period of time in my life where I probably would have read that like in school, I just didn't read anything. Right. All right. Well, so it's funny. My girlfriend and I had actually seen Moby Dick on uh, a a stage production of Moby Dick like three weeks prior to this game coming out, and then in the first scene, your your character is given the nickname Ahab, and you ask this guy who he is, and he goes, "Call me Ishmael," which is directly from Moby Dick, of course. And it was just like really weird that that happened. And then there's a bunch of references. The helicopter is called Pequod which is also the name of the ship in Moby Dick. So there's all these crazy Moby Dick references. But so there's lots of deep plot things and symbolism and whatever. Uh, but but one of the underplots of this game is that you are building an army and you have to recruit people for this army. You've got a home base and you can take your helicopter to the home base anytime. It's just a platform out in the sea somewhere in water. And it's your own, it's your, it's called something, I don't remember what it's called, but Mother Base. And it's kind of your haven. Like you can mother, take, yeah. Mother Base? Yeah, Mother Base. So, you, dude, the, come on, the main character's nickname is Big Boss. Everyone knows him as Big Boss. That was the original villain of Metal Gear, the Metal Gear series is Big That's Boss. That's kind of a badass name, actually. It's kind of a bad name. <laughs> no, it's kind of a badass name. It's kind of, I mean, you're right, but I'm also more right. So, it, but it's, they're not exactly... Yeah, there there was a scientist in Peace Walker named Strange Love. So there's a little hamminess to it too. There's always a little hamminess to it. This game much less hamminess so far than the other Metal Gear Solid games that I've played. Um, they, they play it you much think, more straight. That's what you're saying. You're talking about Mother Base. You've got so, Mother Base. So you've got Mother Base. You can land on it once in a while. Blah blah blah. And you recruit people to go there. And the way you recruit them is if you incapacitate a soldier in the field, whether by putting them to sleep with your tranquilizer or stunning them by choking them out. However, you knock them unconscious. If you go up to them and hold a button, you attach them to a balloon, which shoots them straight up into the air and brings them to Mother Base. And that is what Fultoning is. Fultoning is attaching a balloon to a person. Yeah, yeah. You basically, you kind of like put a hook in the back of their belt, let's say, just 
ish, something like that. And there's a big balloon that just appears. It hovers a couple feet above the ground for about three seconds, and then it goes, and then it like shoots up in the air like like a like a rocket. And then whoever is on the end of the device screams. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That is hilarious. It is hilarious. Hideo Kojima is the I mean, master. I mean, like, like it's it's like that's it's accepted among the Metal Gear community that it's, it's that's dumb, right? It can be fun, but like people accept that as dumb, right? Dude, Hideo Kojima does a better job of any other video game maker probably ever of striking this balance between completely serious subject matter and drama and, and absurdity complete absurdity like complete absurdity okay it's so it's on the nose right it's it's gotta be what do you mean on the nose it it's self-aware it is like, absolutely self-aware okay okay good because like like to to like uh, somebody like me who again doesn't know anything about this series other than just what other people have have said about it um if it wasn't self-aware, that would sound like the dumbest thing ever. Like if it was trying to be super serious and you're telling me that you're like attaching balloons to people and having them fly in the air, that sounds so dumb, right? And, and you know what's weird about it is when I heard about it and they described it, I thought that sounded really stupid because I read somewhere it's like, oh, you can attach a bear to a balloon and fire him off because you can do that. There Wait, are... you, can, you can Fulton other things other than just humans? Oh, you can you can Fulton a tank. Wait, wait about yeah. You so have you have to upgrade it. You have to. I have not upgraded my Fulton to be able to do this. But you can you can Fulton a tank or a shipping container, like a shipping. Uh, what are they I called? Don't, what is in this balloon? I don't understand. What is this balloon made out of? It doesn't matter. It's Metal Gear. It's you have an iDroid in night in the early nineteen eighties, which is when this game takes place. Okay. I mean it's. No, okay, no, I get it. This is the type of bra- this is the type of game you shut your brain off. I get that. It's I not that. the I type get- of game you shut your brain off, though. That's the th- that's the amazing part of it. It just has it's it's a self aware. It's a. I mean, you've got to play it. You, you like you have to play it to understand that it's it's so well done that you don't think about any of this stuff. Like okay. I, again, I thought it sounded ridiculous and stupid, and then after my first couple of Fultons, like I just you know you just run up and just hit the Fulton thing, and it's you kind of giggle the first couple of times, but then you're like, I don't want to say it makes sense. I don't want to like, say I'm going to Fulton this tank. What? No, I, I don't want to say like oh well, it makes perfect sense after that. But th- there's something about it that works, and I'm not going to. It actually it works as a game mechanic and as a plot device, and it some. For some reason, he's able to present and craft this world in which that's not as ludicrous as it sounds from outside. Okay, so you're Fultoning people. They go to your base. Why do they want to work for you after you Fulton them? They get thrown in a... Because Big Boss has a a worldwide reputation. Everyone on the planet knows who he is. He's legendary. And after your army was disbanded several years ago. A lot of these mercenaries went off to work for other units and things like that, private armies and things like that. Uh, but they all wanted to work with Big Boss. So once they get there, th- at that point, you can prove to them, oh, this is the Big Boss. And then they they get thrown in a brig for a while. And then after a while, they're like, oh, okay, it's the boss, the Big big Boss, no way. And then they start to work for you. Got it. So yeah. this, And again, like... John, if you played the game, it you know what? It's a lot less ridiculous than the storyline of Lightning Returns Final Fantasy 13. 
Is anybody named Bunavelza? No, no one is named Bunavelza. That's why. Okay. Okay, so it's so you're building up a, a base of, and let me guess, all of these troops have like different stats. Right, they have different abilities. There's five or six different branches. They can go, they can go into R&D, which lets you develop new weapons and attachments to your weapons. They can go into combat, which lets you dispatch them onto missions later in the game, which allows you to collect a, a, st- a st- steady stream of income as well as d- more resources. You can spend resources and money on expanding your platforms to expand the capacity of your army, of course. There's a medical wing that can heal your troops that are injured in combat and uh, combat sick troops, because sometimes you recruit a troop that has some kind of illness. You can recruit an intel team, and the intel team actually helps you in the field. So if I'm approaching a base and I I, uh, mark three targets and there's a fourth one, I'll occasionally get an intel that's like, uh, enemy presence detected, and you open your iDroid, and you can see, you don't see exactly where they are, they're not marked, but you do see a sphere where they probably are, so you know roughly where an extra enemy is. So Intel has a direct impact on the game, and then there is support, which gives you a couple other abilities, and I think there's one more that I, I apologize, I, I can't think of off the top of my head, but all of... So can you just Fulton everybody, and then like... Like check their attributes. Like yeah, you. Pr- I pretty much fault in everybody, but there are a lot of people that are really bad. Like they so just like get rid of them. Yeah, they're ranked. They're ranked from E to A plus plus. I think are the really special ones. Maybe an S rank or something above that. But but yeah, if there's a if there's somebody who all their skills are E, then yeah, you just kind of get rid of them, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's how the that works. And then so. During the game, you can control all that from your iDroid. You can manage your personnel. You can develop new equipment and have it airdropped to you. You can call in air support from a helicopter. You can upgrade the helicopter from your R&D team. Like, there's this whole sub thing that's going on throughout the game that is a major RPG element, which definitely appeals to me, obviously. Does it seem like there's a lot there? Like, is there, like, a lot of customization with that stuff? I think so, yeah. I think cool. it's more about collecting the pe- about fultoning people from the <laughs> battlefield than it is about because once you get them, there's not a ton of different things you can do with them. But you are definitely able to to build your own path and kind of develop what you want to develop and strengthen the units you want to strengthen and things like that. So it's, you know, it's not the most complicated. It's not like the, you know, it's not like the sphere grid or something from Final Fantasy X, but it's it's definitely a thing that I spend time on and it's cool and it, it gives you a sense of progression throughout the game and it gives you extra incentive to complete side missions because then you're going to build your stuff more and more quickly and hopefully soon I'll get to the point where I can start attaching a balloon to a tank and put that at my base. So I heard... There was some some scuttlebutt about the game, um, like right before it came out, regarding those like platforms and building up your base and using those resources, about being able to like pay for more, like pay real money. Have you seen any of that? No, I haven't heard any of that. Okay, because I think there's like a way to pay real money for more resources or something. There might be, you know, and actually, for some reason, the first two weeks it's since it's been released. There's a daily login bonus. So when you connect to the online service, when you open the game, it gives you extra money or extra resources. And one of the 
things they get they've given me is some kind of money that I haven't seen in the game or spent any of. So I, I bet that's like a premium. I, that's probably that it. But I, I literally don't even know where the option is to buy more stuff. So I, hmm. I don't feel like they're pushing it on me. I literally don't even know where you can spend that money. So it's it's very, you know, not there. And in terms of connecting to the online service, the reason you can do that is because you can attack other people's bases and take their troops and get other resources from other players. And in turn, you can be attacked. So I've fultoned bazookas and Gatling guns from enemy outposts because I need to be able to defend my base. And I don't know exactly how that component works because I've not done the multiplayer. I, I've not participated in any multiplayer raids yet. But you can essentially kind of raid other players, apparently. Huh. Yeah. So there's that, which is kind of awesome. I, I mean, that could be interesting for could sure. Could be interesting for sure. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just There's always a sense of progression. Uh, you can always get new items and new weapons and things like that. I, I generally walk around with my silencer and tranquilizer gun and rarely use other weapons, but they're, I I had to bust out a rocket launcher for a couple missions and a sniper rifle for a couple missions. And But the thing is, like, I don't want to kill anybody. Uh, like, And I've watched, not speed runs, but I've watched really high-ranking runs of past Metal Gear games. And, like, in Metal Gear Solid 3, I watched not a whole thing, but a part of a run-through that a guy did to get the highest ranking you can get in Metal Gear Solid 3. If you want to, like, ace a Metal Gear Solid game, you have to basically never be seen, and you have to not kill anybody. Like, at all. So, it's, it's not a violent game. And I have a sniper rifle... And I could take out some guys at a base, and that'll probably make the game a little easier in some ways. But I don't want to kill anybody. So that's when you where, say when you say don't kill them, like is tranking them fine? Tranking them's fine. You can trank them. You can, you can like, shoot them in the head with a gun. Tranquilizer gun doesn't happen to have a bullet, right? And then okay, yeah. So I'm shooting people in the face all the time. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> and it's like whenever my girlfriend's in the room, I always turn to her. I'm like, it's a tranquilizer gun. It's okay. <laughs> Because when they pass, when they fall over, a bunch of Z's appear above their head. So again, this like kind of self-aware, like just Goofiness. just kitschy enough. You know, it's not ever over the top kitschy, but there's an element of it's so weird, John. So like the opening scene in this game is incredibly violent. I'm not going to get into it, but you know, it's, it's funny. This is the first like major blockbuster game I've gotten since I started dating my girlfriend, and I'm like, okay. The other Metal Gear Solid games usually start with a really long cutscene, or you're skydiving from a helicopter like in Metal Gear Solid 3 or something's going on. No, the start of this game is like, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but it's it's really violent. Like people are getting like shot in the face in front of you. And I mean, it's the start of the game. You can, if it's literally the first thing you see, I don't think there's any, there's any harm. You're not going to spoil it. Oh, well, yeah. You, so you start in a hospital that gets attacked by uh by basically an army and they just murder everyone like patients oh. doctors it's 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 horrifying and it's shown in graphic detail it's on the same level it's close to the same level as call of duty was it modern warfare or modern warfare 2 where they have a scene in an airport where terrorists just gun down a bunch of people waiting in line Interesting. Um, I don't remember which one it was. I remember in that game, you could actually, you selected before you started the game if you wanted to skip that scene. It says something like, there's an incredibly violent and disturbing scene. Do you want to watch it or not? You won't be penalized if you don't. And you can actually skip that entire chapter. Um, this was like on that level of just like terrifyingly violent. Um, 
and it's like super real. And then there's this guy that shows up who's made of fire. And there's some kind of weird like callback to some other character from a Metal Gear Solid game who like flies and has psychic powers. So it's like it's really weird. It's yeah, right. re- and it's and it's it's jarring in a way because you're in the middle of this gritty realistic thing, but they he does it in a seamless way. So you're playing this game and then suddenly this crazy thing happens and you're like, ah, this is not realistic, but it somehow fits and this world he creates lets it be like it, it lends itself to a little bit of fantasy at the same time as being realistic. And it's it's like it's probably why this game gets such a good reviews and why Hideo Kojima is so like super well regarded. Because I mean, this game has gotten crazy reviews, right? I yeah, mean, it has. Like on Metacritic, I think it was at like ninety six or something or ninety four last time I checked. I know it was above ninety. So. You know. So last question for you then before I I suppose we could probably wrap it up. I've been talking about it for a while. Do you have a companion in the game? Because I saw pictures of a dog. You know, I've seen pictures too. I think I missed the dog. I think you can get a companion. There's a lot that I haven't gotten to, honestly. Like I know you can get a, a partner character that you can use, but you have to beat Mission 11 to do that. And I skipped Mission 11 because it didn't have a sniper <laughs> rifle on me. So I, no, I literally man, couldn't I, do I mean, it. you could go get a dog. You should go get. You should go get a damn dog. Uh, yeah, I guess there's some kind of companion components. There's there's a lot to this game I haven't even gotten to, and I'm 30 hours in, and it it's amazing. This game, like I and I, I want to play this game every day. Like I cannot remember the last time I felt this way about a game, and I, I think I've said this before. I think I said this most recently with Final Fantasy 13, 12, or whatever, but. You know, we love indie games, and indie games are great, and it's it's actually possibly one of our favorite things is some of these independent games, the less mainstream games, the more accessible games. But sometimes a blockbuster, I think, is justified, and in this kind of game, you play it and you're just like, holy hell, this is like, this is the apex of gaming right now. Like, this gets it on every level, from gameplay to just everything everything just feels it's it flows smoothly and it plays tightly and it's fun and it's everything everything about it is good like i have nothing i have nothing bad to say about this game at all um whatsoever the only the only annoying thing that happened was i was on mother base and there's a side mission where you can do target practice on one of your platforms so I go to the platform and do target practice. Oh, cool. I can do target practice on another platform. So I did target practice on four platforms or five. This took me at least a half hour, right? Because I'm running between them and I'm doing all these other things. So it took me at least a half hour, 45 minutes. The last one I get to, I couldn't figure out. And I didn't feel like running down a bunch of stairs. And it was kind of a winding platform in terms of the way it was structured. So I just kind of hopped off a ledge. But I didn't realize there wasn't a landing below me. There were, it was like three-story drop. So I died, which is fine, right? But because they were all side missions, the game had not auto-saved after the side missions. So the last like half hour, 45 minutes, had been completely eradicated because I'm an idiot. So that's that's the only annoying thing to me is that they don't auto save after the side missions. And there's there's sounds like user error. Yeah, that was more user error. But and there is no way to like go in and kind of save the game. It it only auto saves at certain points. So I'm not all and it auto saves often, but I'm not always exactly sure when I should quit or when I can quit. So um, 
I don't know. That's that's kind of what I, like there was a cut scene. I got to the middle of, of one cinematic and I had to go somewhere and I had to leave my apartment. And I'm like, oh, crap. Did it autosave before this or is it going to autosave after? So if I, if I pay closer attention, that's fine. I'm not always clear. But but literally, I mean, that is it's it's a non-complaint. Really, it's it's just like, uh, oh, FYI, in case you play, just be aware. Don't do five side missions and then kill yourself because you're a dumbass. You know, I tell you what's pretty cool about this game so far is that like there aren't games that are hyped up more than a game like this. Like like it it's the expectations were so high because of Hideo Kojima. Right. And it sounds like this game really kind of delivers on those expectations, which is uncommon. I would say. Yeah. I mean, so how, that's pretty cool. How does the episode system sound to you? I mean, is that is that how like GTA? I know you don't really play GTA, but are there other like open world games that operate like that? Like Red Dead Redemption or anything? Yeah. Well, I mean, basically in those games, you drive to a quest marker or ride to a quest marker and then a quest happens there and then that will take you somewhere else. And then eventually you will go to another place where sometimes like you'll get dumped back into the open world and you'll like the next quest will be in the building that you are standing right next to. But you don't have to do that then at that point. You can then go do something else. That's usually how open world games are are kind of typically structured. That's the standard structure of them. OK, yeah. So it it's not like a brand new concept but the way it's executed in terms of like literally opening and closing credits for every for, for every episode yeah i mean to my knowledge that hasn't been done before yeah it, it's a very uh, definite beginning and end and, and a lot of people have kind of wondered about like hideo kojima's involvement in the game because he's the legendary director that made this whole series basically and he and konami the, the publisher split right at the end of development of this game but Every single episode ends with directed by Hideo Kojima. <laughs> so you see his name in the game. Like, I've seen his name in the in the game like 20 times. Uh, so he's he's not been whitewashed from this at all, which is which is nice to see. It is, it you know, and it says, uh, I think it says Kojima at the beginning or Kojima Productions or whatever. So it's 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 very much his game, which is cool. And and yeah, so I yeah, John, I mean, if you haven't played a game in the series before, I'd say this one's pretty accessible. I think this is going to be my jumping in point. Yeah. I uh, the, the only annoying thing is then it'll be hard for you to go back though, right? I don't know if I will. I mean, I don't know if I need to. And maybe I, you don't I, want I don't, to. Nor do I think I have time for that, you know? Yeah. I, like I said, the shorter... The, I mean, the first two games are like six hours long. Like, they're not huge time invest. You can beat it in a weekend, you know? but Or two weekends for you. But, you know, I I don't know. I think they're all worth playing, but this one, it, this, the other ones are not as good as this one. Let's just say that. Sure. So anyway, yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. Uh, I'm just going to stretch here, stretch my mouth. Just another game that I have to put on my list of games that I want. Yeah. Um, what other games do you want? The Star um, Wars Christmas special game? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the game. You freak. Uh, so I'm just going to start talking about what I've been playing because you didn't ask me. I didn't really. I um, don't want to know. And to be honest, I, I so uh, we are moving. Um, the Wait. house is actually our house is getting listed this weekend. So Wait, did you buy? Did you buy one? No, no. Uh, we, you can't really buy one until you sell yours. Like it just doesn't. 
you can, but then you there's you have the possibility of taking on two mortgages, and that's not something we want to do. So um, we're gonna we, our plan is to sell our house first. So it's getting listed this weekend. So like all of the stuff that needs to be done to like list the house it had to be done. So there was a ton of work that we had to do to get it ready. I also started a new job, um, same what? company, but I'm oh. a manager now instead of what I was doing. Mister Manager. So I missed. You can call me Mister. It's we actually just say manager. Do we? Um, we do. Uh, and so that's a transition that's like, Hey, now learn all this other stuff that you've got to do. And like, that's, that's a transition that I'm dealing with now too. So the past couple of weeks have been low on the video game playing. I did continue to play my hardcore character in the Diablo three season. Um, I'm up to like of the 10 torment difficulties, my character is now running torment seven or something like that. So he's pretty well decked out. But I've hit the point in his progression where there's basically like there's like one more item for me to find in for this, this like for at this. all. Yeah, yeah. But keep in mind that the stats are randomized on these items as well. So like you could have an item and then not have the perfect roll of stats on it as well. Oh, okay. But um, so there's but there's one more item that I need to find that would really like solidify the entire build that I'm that I'm using. Um and then the other thing that they've that they've implemented in this past patch is they have ancient quality items, which is like there are legendary items, which are the best ones. And then there are ancient legendary items, which basically have a higher stat range for all of the stats on them, but have the same stats as those items. So, so it's like an extra level of quality. So I have one ancient item. I've only found one um, usable one for me. So like if I wanted to, I could continue to play to get ancient versions of every single one of the items that I'm currently using. Like I've hit the point where I'm not upgrading anymore. And so it's kind of becoming a little tedious. So I, I don't know, like we just talked about how we don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of time to like not, not play stuff that has kind of stopped getting fun. And that's why I put a lot of games down now once I start them, because if it just hasn't grabbed me and is not continuing to be fun, like I just don't have the time. I don't want to waste my time playing it. Like I did when I was a kid, you know? Or like so I, I did know. when, I or like I did when gonna... I played Hyrule Warriors. Exactly. Like neither of us were having fun when we played that, and yet we played far too much of it. Um, so, uh, I, I think I think I'm about ready to like put that back down again. Um, Hyrule Warriors? No, Diablo Three. Oh, even even though like my hardcore character hasn't died, I think I'm ready to 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 put it down again. Um, just cause like I said, it's just, it's become like not fun, but other than that football started and that was also super exciting. So instead of what free time I had on Sunday playing video games, I instead got to watch football and play fantasy football, which in itself is basically a video game. Wait, I have a question about fantasy football. I'm doing a draft tomorrow, but didn't the mm-hmm. season already start? Yeah, but I mean, you can, like if if the league didn't start, everybody's still on a, on a the same playing field. If you draft, if everybody drafts in the second week, because you're all drafting in the second week. So, but I didn't think that was a thing. There's no reason why it couldn't be. Oh, right. there's, there's no reason why you couldn't do that at all. All right, and and to I don't care about football, but I'm doing a league because I was pressured into it by the Gun and Geek Network, who we'll talk about later. I mean, honestly, fantasy football increased my enjoyment of watching football a hundred times. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, it really did. And it's, it's I, I personally think it's a little more fun if you've got some real money in 
at stake. Um, so if you like, I, from what I from what I know, every fantasy football league I've, I have ever participated in has had a buy-in. You've had to pay money to get into it. Um, and that always like puts a little element, you know, I'm, I love gambling. That puts a little element of risk in it as well, which for me is really fun. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, f- fantasy football, honestly, looking at stats and organizing a the best team possible, it's basically like playing a role-playing game. No, I know. I mean, I've played it before. I just don't care. I mean, like I had a mandatory buy-in for this one of $4,000, which is pretty standard. But like, I don't know, that doesn't still motivate me very much. Yeah, we're not all as rich as you. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking the total pot is $4,000. Oh, and I was thinking of a different league that I'm not participating in because mine was free. So I may have misspoken. I think you did misspeak. Misspoke. I think you misspoke. I am mis- I am bespoked. Bespoken? I have be- I will- I is bespeak- spoken. You is bespeaking. But to speak easy, is that- That's a thing. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Continue. Uh, so, so yeah. Other than that, there like hasn't been any other, really any other video game playing at all. Except I redownloaded Hearthstone on my phone. God, that game I'm, sucks. And I got to try some of the new uh, cards because so, I, I played an arena run. I I didn't buy any new packs or anything, um, but I got I did some new arena drafts with the new cards. And when I jumped back in, I had an arena deck that was made before the grand tournament came out. And I won four games in a row with no grand tournament cards. And then the next draft that I had, which was actually a very good draft, I lost my first two games with grand tournament cards. So obviously that doesn't mean anything in the long run. No, that but from means my, from the... my experience so far, the grand tournament cards have actually caused me to lose more games than not having the grand tournament cards. So what you're saying is the grand tournament cards are all terrible. Are all terrible. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, just making they, sure. But but I'll be honest. Just from from the brief, um, two I did two full arena runs. I probably played. Let's see, total. I think I played about fifteen matches. I went like seven and three, and then I went uh, three and three or two and three. Um, the cards seem really cool. Like, I think they seem. They seem f- fun. Some of them do seem very powerful compared to some of the base cards. I think that that kind of happens a lot in card games, though I don't really know how you move away from that. I... From, like, expansions increasing the amount of power in the cards. Because, like, I don't know... I mean, I other than, like, creating completely new mechanics that you... That, like, the original cards were never balanced around to begin with, I, I don't know how you introduce new cards and don't introduce power creep. Well, and yeah, like you this. have to because that incentivizes people to spend more money on the new cards or spend more well, time. Yeah, so it, yeah, it's, I know how that is. I mean, in the alternate universe expansion of the Star Trek collectible card game by Decipher, Decipher? Decipher. Decipher. Uh, the future Enterprise was in the alternate universe expansion, which is a horribly broken Federation starship. Clearly more powerful than any other starship in the entire game. Now, it wasn't ultra rare, but it was only in the alternate universe expansion, not in the original series expansion. So, well, which is the original d- game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, I had fun. Like, I, I think the new cards are neat. I'm like, the, the arena is still awesome to me because I don't have to buy all the new cards to, uh, to get to play with them. Because if I get them in a draft, then I can play with them. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I got this, like, stupid Murloc. I played a Paladin, and I got a Murloc that 
whenever I used my hero power, I summoned more Murlocs for free. Yes. And it was it was dumb. As soon as I got that out, if I ever got that out and were, was able to use it once or twice, I just completely rolled my opponent. Yeah. I mean, it was awesome. So, like, there's there's some uh, there's definitely some fun stuff in there. I, I don't know if something's changed with the metagame, but, you know, I, I had a Priest deck that was totally OP, and I got to, like, rank 11 or 12 or 13 or something. That's high for me with my Priest deck. And I swear, I played the, the last eight games I've played with my Priest deck have all lost. But now I'm, like, rolling, I'm totally ruling with my, like, Shaman deck and my Warrior deck are really good. So I don't know if the metagame just changed really dramatically with the new expansion or what the I'm deal sh- is. I'm sure it did. When you introduce that many new things, like, the meta is going to completely turn. I guess. Com- completely. But. So, yeah, that's that's it. That Other than that, that's it. And the getting ready to move thing. Are you still trying to beat every Final Fantasy game? Uh, I would love to have continued that, but with all of this other stuff going on, that's not really uh, that's not really an option at the moment. All right, what's what game did you end up on? Um, played. I think I'm actually in the middle of six, or I just completed six. Yeah, I just completed six. Okay, so I'd actually be on seven. Okay, so you've beaten half of them. Because we don't, because I don't believe you count Final Fantasy VIII as a game, right? Yeah, so I probably wouldn't play that again. And actually, I've never played Final Fantasy II, and I don't really have access to it. So I don't know. I've never, I don't, it's not that I don't count that. I just, that's not in my mind of Final Fantasy games that I've played before. That's really bizarre. You should play that one, maybe. Maybe. Maybe sometime down the road. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. All right. Well, but I'm most getting ready for. And you're not going to believe this, but October 11th, a game called Dragon Quest Heroes is coming out. It's been out in Japan since February. It's coming out in the United States in October. And it is basically, it's a Musou game, which is the style of game that Hyrule Warriors is. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no. It's basically a Hyrule Warriors game that encompasses the entire Dragon Quest franchise. And it's made by the original creators of the Musou genre, Koei Tecmo, who made Dynasty Warriors. So it's like it's like the A-team that is making this. And Dragon Quest is a very beloved series in Japan. And I know that they wouldn't... Just like, just like Hyrule Warriors was a good Musou game, it was still a Musou game. Dragon Quest Heroes is going to be a good Musou game. It's still going to be a Musou game. But it has a franchise that I am far more invested in than The Legend of Zelda, which I was not that in, I'm not that invested in. So I think that that, you know, I think a lot of people played Hyrule Warriors as much as they did because they love Zelda. And I, I mean, I, I don't blame them for that. I have affinities to other franchises, right? Sure. I just didn't have that. So even though I played a bunch of that game, I know I didn't play it as much as you. Um and I'm sure that some of your affinity towards the franchise helped drive you a little bit. Sure. So I'm excited to kind of see that um, in this. And also, I'll be I'll be honest, and it may be kind of a crappy thing to say, but it's on the PS4 instead of the Wii U. And I don't think there's going to have it's going to have any kind of technical issues. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Hyrule Warriors had some serious slowdown in some parts. I'm fairly certain I'm not going to encounter any of that. Sure. Um. 
so I'm I'm excited I'm excited about that. And it's it's more like cell shaded animation, much more colorful than Hyrule Wars Warriors was. And I'm imagining that the music might be a little better too, because God, the music in Hyrule Warriors was the worst. Yeah, it was pretty terrible. It was pretty so, terrible. Overall, for me, I'm super excited about that. That comes out in October, and that's like a that is like a day one purchase for me. I'm probably one of like five thousand people that's going to purchase that day one. <laughs> well, um, that's okay. It happens. We've all been there. Yeah. Where we're the only person that buys a game. The music in Hyrule Warriors was really atrocious. Do you, you know I'm going to a Zelda concert in two weeks? I hope they play only that. Hyrule Warriors soundtrack? Yeah, I hope they just play the Hyrule Warriors yeah, soundtrack. So, so it's not a rock concert? It's it's actually not a death metal concert? It's an orchestra uh, symphony concert. So no, that will not happen. That will not occur, actually. I know you, you make fun of me every... Bas- for basically talking about some kind of video game po- concert like all the time on this podcast, but it just to tie in Tyro Warriors and, and kind of close out. I, I I mentioned that Metal Gear Solid Five is the first like big blockbuster game with like a, a solid story and everything, like just a really amazing game that's been released since I started dating my girlfriend. Well, when we started dating, I was really really into Hyrule Warriors, which she doesn't particularly like abrasive violent, uh, cacophonous games. And I would argue that Hyrule Warriors is more all of those things than any other game I've played in like three years. So she entered my life at a very bad time. And so I I actually bought her a ticket to the Hyrule, to the uh, Zelda Symphony, like as a, as a kind of like, to kind of, uh, as an apology for having to deal with Hyrule Warriors. Like, this is my way of making it up to you. Because I also want to kind of show her, like, hey, Zelda games actually aren't ever like this. Because they'll be showing, you know, footage from the Zelda series above the stage. So it'll show, like, storylines and, like, the goddesses and, you know, scenes and things like that. And she'll be like, oh, yes, this isn't all death metal guitar music and killing 500 imps with a slash of a sword every but three seconds. how good would it be if they wheeled out an electric guitar and, like, an amp? and did Hyrule Warriors music in the middle of the Zelda concert. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Oh my God, I would, it would be awesome. It would would be be awesome in the worst way. It would be hilarious. It would be Hyrule-arious. Hyrule-arious. Hyrule Warriors-arious. Do you get what I'm getting at? Hyrule Warriors-arious. Hyrule-arious. All of those things. On this episode of Unqualified Gamer. Hey, I, I have to plug the Gunna Geek Network before we stop. Go ahead. <laughs> before we st- like, not before we finish the show or like go off. No, before we stop. We just end things. Yeah, hey, listen. In addition to finding us on WGNplus.com and UnqualifiedGamers.com, you can catch us on the Gunna Geek Network at, you guessed it, GunnaGeek.com. And there's some other cool podcasts on there that you should check out this week on episode 176 of all things good and nerdy you can listen to the episode entitled the long willy that's not suggestive this week longtime peanut gallery member willie nelson joins the show to talk nerdy what i don't think it's the real willie nelson 
I think it might be a different Willie Nelson. It or might. maybe it is the real N- Willie Nelson. You'll have to listen to find out, and so will I. Anyway, Willie tells the crew about the plans for a Roadhouse reboot. Naki gives the latest news on the release date of Jessica Jones on Netflix. And Anthony shares the latest on the Flash and Arrow trailers. And apparently it's a long show because the crew can't help but talk about all sorts of random things which I can't relate to at all. We're always on topic. Speaking of Netflix, I, I, I also uh, started watching BoJack Horseman. What is that? It's, it's So I thought it was going to be kind of like a non-sequitur style humor, um, a, a slightly akin to Family Guy um, with Will Arnett. Will, Will Arnett plays the voice of a horse who was in a 90s sitcom called Horsin' Around and was the dad of a family. <laughs> and he was a single dad raising three kids. What? Yeah, and it's basically his life 20 years later as a horse that was it's like a washed-up actor who's a horse. So it, it I, I assumed it was going to be, like, really funny, like, because it's, it's Will Arnett. And I, I think Will Arnett is a very funny actor. Um, and it starts off, I found it very funny when it started off and about like six or seven episodes in, it doesn't take a dramatic turn. It's pretty gradual, but you realize just how, like it becomes, it, it almost becomes like a dramedy rather than just a comedy. Really? It, it's really dark and th- very sad. And it explores some themes that I was totally not prepared for when I started watching this show. So I think it is, I think it is like a sleeper. I, because I don't think a lot of people have watched it, but I think it's way better than, uh, than people realize. Wow. It's really good. That's really weird. So anyway, Bojack Horseman, go check it out. Have you watched Wet Hot American Summer at all? I haven't. Oh, okay. Do you, you've seen the movie though, right? I haven't. Really? That's a cool classic, right? It's one of my favorite comedy films ever, actually. Like, it's really funny. That is so weird. We were just talking about What Hot American Summer when my parents were here the other weekend. Like, um, because we watched Stand By Me when they were here, which was like the coming-of-age film for the generation directly before us. Oh. And my stepfather was talking about the coming-of-age film for, like, their generation. And it was American Graffiti. And then we started talking about What Hot American Summer for some reason. But it was weird. That's weird that that came up in two conversations of mine. It's a sign you've got to see. You should watch the movie. Like, it is a really funny movie. And the TV series, is it's the same cast, but it's supposed to be a prequel to the movie. But they made this series like 10 years later. And it's just weird to see how exactly the same everyone looks. Like, it's weird. But it's really funny. And have you seen, did you ever watch, did you see the original Roadhouse? No. Okay, me neither. No, I but I've heard some funny things about Roadhouse. Really, like funny. Yeah, I just it's, it's like that, that. It's cheesy. That it's a. Uh, it's like a cheesy Kurt Russell action flick. It's Kurt Russell, right? I don't know. You know who's playing the? No, it's Patrick Swayze, not Kurt Russell. Oh. I get them confused. Patrick Swayze's the dead one. Right. You know who's playing that role in the reboot? Who? Ronda Rousey. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. That's actually kind of cool. Dude. That's in fact that's pretty darn neat. I I am obsessed with Ronda Rousey. Not She's in like badass. a not in like a weird creepy way, but like 
I think but kind she, of in a weird, creepy way. Well, obviously, just by nature of it being me, but she is amazing. Like I, I have like basically Google News alert set up to, like for her. Like I just I eat up. She was on <clears throat> Ellen this week, so I'm gonna like watch that whole thing. And no, I think Ronda Rousey is just phenomenal. Have you seen the DNB video, which we can't say on this podcast because censors? Do not the do nothing disturb. the do nothing be video. I'll send it to you. It's amazing. Just look up Ronda Rousey DNB listener. It's amazing. She's I love Ronda Rousey. She's amazing. Dave Matthews back? No. All right, one more uh, quick plug. So uh, because I just started watching season five of the Doctor Who reboot with my girlfriend, so we just started with the Matt Smith era of Doctor Who. Oh, right. The Matt Smith era. Yeah. I'm a big Doctor Who fan. Uh, we got to really pick up the pace so that we can catch up to Peter Capaldi because uh, Doctor Who's coming back really soon and I want to watch the new episodes. But anyway, there's a podcast on the Gun and Geek Network called Gallifrey Public Radio and in episode 152 entitled, Hey, It's That Doctor Who Actor, they discuss instances where Doctor Who alum appear out of the blue in shows or films that we weren't prepared for forcing us to try and reconcile the conflicting thoughts when seeing this strange new person against the doctor, companion, or other Whovian we truly know them to be. I experienced this a bit when I saw David Tennant in Harry Potter, but, you know, here we are. Here we are, as the Scottish would say. The Scots say that, you know. Here we are. That was really, it was really good, our role. Here we are. Thank you. John, Jonathan. It's your name now. There's no R's in my name. There are now. There are now. You see what I did there? (laughs) I'm so good at this. This episode of Unqualified Gamers. I'm so good at this. 